0: It was like soccer or football, if you're in Europe, whatever.
1: What is it if you're from Asia?
0: Uh, Probably football, because we're probably not correct in calling it soccer. I, I would assume we're the only ones that call it soccer.
1: I think so. That's uh, just, that is the American way. <laughs>
0: that is that is the American way. That's, I, that's just <laughs> what I assume.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and... Who could it be? Who could it be?
0: Who would the other person be? It could be literally anyone out of all of the internet. It could be, it could be me, Booster Greg. Hello. (laughs)
1: Hi, Booster Greg.
0: I hope I didn't leave anyone in suspense for too long on that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We are coming back to you today with chapter 12, The Storm, or as we like to call it,
0: joint origins do you you get it because we have two origins right we we, you'll find out we have ang and zuko and then the old lady the fisherman the fisherman's wife or old lady or whatever she had joint pains before this you guys get it you're smart you get it (laughs)
1: you get it joints get it
0: the best kind of jokes are the ones that need explanations afterwards
1: absolutely before we really dive into the episode we do have some more reviews to go over
0: Yes, so um, we got a whole bunch, and thank you guys so, so much for taking the time to write, review, all that stuff. Uh, The first one I'm going to read is from Ari, and Ari writes, Hello, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Full names, very formal. I love it. Sorry. I will stop (laughs) commenting, but I love it. My name is Ari, and I stumbled upon your podcast on Spotify looking for anything to extend the Avatar adventure. This podcast hit the spot. I tried to listen to a few others, but this one is hands down the best. I love the thoughtful commentary, the research recap, moral of the episode, and the MVP. Laugh out loud. That was such a great idea. Thanks. Sorry. Sorry. Keep on reading. (laughs) Keep up the great work, you two. Uh, And I have been telling everyone I know to listen to the podcast. I was listening to the Southern Air Temple episode and wanted to offer a reason why Aang entering the Avatar state this time around notified the world. In episode one, Aang is leaving the Avatar state and releasing the Avatar power that has been keeping him alive over the past 100 years. In episode two, Aang enters the Avatar state for survival when fighting against Zuko. In episode three, Aang enters the Avatar state due to his emotions and not survival this time. He is enraged, devastated, and upset, he feels guilty for disappearing, Uh, to Monk Yatso in learning that he is truly the last Avatar. I 100% agree that the location of the Air Temple and its sacred land helped notify the other temples in the Four Nations. However, I think the creators of the show wanted to show how impactful and powerful the Avatar and Avatar State is. The Avatar State is more than a means of surviving and power it is also a way to unlock past avatar wisdom spiritual power and cosmic energy i think the show creators wanted to foreshadow that there is more to the avatar state finally since ang entered the avatar state with so much emotional pain he wanted to let the world know that he is back and he will restore balance to the world uh i agree
1: <laughs> <laughs> basically basically we agree. i agree
0: <laughs> I agree if I add in if I may, an amendment to one of the the statements where Ari stated that Aang wanted to let the world know that he was back. I think on a subconscious level that's true,
1: yeah, I would agree
0: i I don't think especially since what we've seen so far uh his he doesn't really want to be the avatar, he's very like hesitant, he's kind of embracing it as we go on, but he's he's very much like he ran away from it. Well, we'll learn that in this episode. He ran away from it. He, he did all the, you know, he didn't want it. He was uh, upset. He, it's overwhelming for him. So I think, yes, on like a subconscious level or maybe even his previous incarnations through him wanted to let the rest of the world know that he was back.
1: Yeah. And I think that adds a really cool layer of context to that scene because like Ari pointed out, he was going through an incredible amount of grief and anger that. I could absolutely see subconsciously all of his past lives wanting to shout it out to the world like, hey, we're back.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I think, yeah, having it like fleshed out like that definitely makes more sense because I would assume Ari is referring to me being me and being like, why did it happen here and not here? And then you were like, well, Greg, this is why. And I was like, no. And then Ari says, well, Greg, this is why. And I'm like, "Yes." yes, after after seeing more episodes, remembering more things. Yes.
1: Yes, but I do. I do like that Ari points out that the Avatar state is more than just a means of surviving in power, and it's also a way to unlock past Avatar wisdom, spiritual power and cosmic energy, because those specific things we're going to see explored in so many episodes. And I can't wait to get to that, because that's a kind of beautiful nuance to the Avatar entity in the Avatar state.
0: Yes, for sure. Ari continues to write fun tidbits while listening to the show. I have read on several fan sites that the airbender in the opening is Monk Yatsu, but there's no way to confirm, just speculations. The four benders in the opening were supposed to be Aang's teachers, in parentheses. Could you imagine Azula teaching Aang? That'd be nuts in <laughs> an interesting storyline.
1: Incredibly interesting. I think it would be <laughs> short-lived. I think she would kill him before they got very far.
0: <laughs> oh, no. uh, I have read the whole email, obviously, but this line I've read a bunch of times, just thought about it. It's amazing. Monk Giazzo killed all those firebenders by taking all the oxygen out of the room because there is no sign of scorch marks on his body or in the room. That is brutal.
1: Yes. I had a moment when I was reading that because we talked at length about that scene and we I, I think I specifically pointed out that it was one airbender against about 10 firebenders and The firebenders were dead on the ground all around him. And I think you're right. The scorch marks did not reach his body as if he was protected in some sort of bubble of air or something. But that's a side of bending that we're not going to see until a little bit later. The terrible application of the different forms of bending. And so the concept of a master airbender sucking the oxygen out of firebenders lungs is horrifying mm-hmm. but also incredibly cool
0: i know oh man it's so genius too it's like well fire needs air so take out the yeah. air no fire true also you no- extinguish
1: oh god yeah. you can extinguish the firebenders fire just with taking the air away mm-hmm. from the fire
0: mm-hmm. but it's a, it's definitely a kamikaze kind of move because no more air no more breathing oh
1: for sure yeah 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 also
0: that's a much more brutal death for him too suffocation yeah.
1: If it was like a, a suicidal,
0: like a one last ditch. Yeah. 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 On that light note.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Ari just finishes by saying, I thought that would be fun to share with you guys. Looking forward to future episodes. Thank you for creating this podcast. Best Ari. Ari, thank you, you so are much.
1: Absolutely welcome, Ari. Thank you for writing in and making all those really great points. Yeah. I think this is one of the things I love about the avatar world so much is all of the the nuance and the layers and the discussion and the fan theories and then real theories. Mm -hmm. So much fun to talk about.
0: Oh, man, it's so good. Again, thanks for writing in.
1: Our next piece of feedback comes from Napalm Sunday. Your podcast is one that I look forward to every week. By the way, Booster, my favorite character is definitely Iroh, but with May and Toph as close seconds. Fair. (laughs) Absolutely fair. Yes. Don't worry, Acorn, Katara is a boss, but she is a little too touchy feely for my taste. Fan for life, napalm Sunday.
0: Also fair. On Fan also for Life. Also fair. On Fan for Life and Katara.
1: <laughs> All the above. Yes. I know. While Katara is my favorite character, or I should say one of my favorite characters, one of the top ones. Um, I do agree she is very touchy feely, and at times she's a little too, you know what I'm saying? Too Katara. She's a little too Katara at times. A little too extra. A little too extra. Yeah. But (laughs) even with that being said, I think she's still my favorite character. But you make very good points. Yeah. And as far as the other characters, I cannot wait for May and Toph.
0: I, this is going to sound bad. I forget about May. I don't remember May at all.
1: May is a quiet force.
0: I like, I want to Google me. Like, every time I read this email, I'm like, I should Google. I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Like, everyone remembers Toph because Toph is amazing. And even in Cora, absolutely amazing. So, yeah,
1: Toph is an actual BAMF.
0: Yes, yes, for sure. But yeah, that was great. Oh, man. Thanks. Thanks, Napalm, for writing in. And then. The last little bit that we received, uh, this actually came from the Twitter sphere, and this is uh, this one comes from at Nero Queergoof, who writes, "I just found your podcast yesterday, and I've been listening nonstop while doing chores and making avatar-related artwork. Thank you for creating a show that allows me to listen to people talk with as much passion and love for the show I grew up watching." And then a whole bunch of them oh, they're all the emojis. Look at that. We got some water. We got some earth. We got some fire. We got some wind. We got got the rock and roll of the Spider-Man hands. What's the Spider-Man hands?
1: (laughs) Spider-Man hands. I call them (laughs) Spider-Man hands.
0: But I think everyone knows that I come from a comic book perspective on this for most of the time. Um,
1: Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Earth. Earth. Fire. (laughs) Air.
0: (laughs) I mean, really, isn't Spider-Man just one of the elements of the world, if we think about it?
1: Obviously, I mean
0: everyone gets one save from Spider-Man. We learned that from Family Guy. So <laughs> they go on to say the following: I love Zuko because of his character arc and how much he grows. I love how you see his bending change from the muscles to the breath over the course of the show. Of course, I love Ang and Sokka as well for their growth, and Katara is a badass. Toph gives no shits, and Iro is amazing. Truth, true, Preach. very true. I love that they like the same characters as me, although that's very hard to, to like. You can't really be like, oh, Zhao was my favorite character.
1: <laughs> Man, that Ozai, please, he's the best. Please,
0: if they are your favorite characters, don't be mad at me. But I feel like out of all <laughs> the discussions I've ever had about Avatar The Last Airbender with friends and, and you know, just people and fans throughout the Internet, no one has ever started a conversation with a... Uh, that Ozai, man, what a great character. What a three dimensional, <laughs> well portrayed character. And it's like,
1: well. I mean, I would say that with him not being my favorite, because, yes, <laughs> he's a great bad guy.
0: Yeah, but I mean, so far, anyways, and based on what I remember, he's just very one dimensional bad guy.
1: You make a point. <laughs> he's just like, just I'm here because...
0: to make a war for all, like, or continue a yeah, war for all. Yeah, no, I'm years. sitting
1: here going, wait a second. No, you're right. We don't really have much of his background motivations for being the way that he is. But we, I don't know, I guess we get it from his dad. Yeah. His dad had more reasons and motivations for doing what he did. So I guess really, you know, Ozai just took over his pop's life work and that's his motivation.
0: Just taking over the family business of destroying the earth.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Great. Nero, thank you so much for writing in. Thank you. Having people listen to our podcast who are as passionate about the show as we are is such a treat for us too. So it definitely goes both ways. But thank you, Ari, Napalm, and Nero for writing in. We super appreciate it. Yeah. But yes, thank you.
0: Yeah. And and if anyone's kind of disappointed we didn't read yours on this episode, you can blame me. I feel like you guys have been so supportive and so awesome that I felt like if we read all of the feedback that we've gotten over the past two weeks, it would be the entire episode. So <laughs> we're spacing them out just so we, we can provide the same show experience that everyone's really loving while also making sure that we say thank you and we appreciate you. And if you didn't hear it this week, maybe next week, probably next week or the week after. Definitely the week after that, though, for sure.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. Ready to get started?
0: Yes. I can't wait. Let's jump into this. I'm so excited.
1: I Forgot how much I love this episode. Oh, my God. Talk about an emotional sucker punch to the gut. I started watching this going, oh, my God, I forgot everything.
0: When we were talking about like the, the episode divvying up between us, I was like, oh, I got the better one because I get next week's. And I was like really excited. And then I started rewatching this episode and I was like, oh, now I'm jealous.
1: At least we have a lot to talk about together. Yes, so, do. The Storm was written by Aaron Ehaz and directed by Lauren McMillan. Our first scene opens with a dream sequence. We see Aang riding on Appa, Sokka flying nearby using Aang's staff, and Katara riding on a giant momo. We need you, Aang, Katara says. I need you too, Aang responds happily. Suddenly, Aang sees a dark storm approaching. He warns his friends to be careful but finds that they are gone. Instead, a floating monk Gyatso appears before him. Why did you disappear, he asks. I didn't mean to, Aang says, and reaches out to touch Gyatso. The monk's body disintegrates into ash and is blown away on the wind. His haunting voice follows Aang into the storm, saying, We need you, Aang. Aang and Appa plummet into the water to a chorus of, We need you, Aang, spoken by all the voices of his friends. Lightning strikes, and he jerks awake.
0: Mm. Something I want to interject really quickly, we forgot to do on the first episode of Monk Gyatso. Um, the voice actor for for him is Sab Shimono, and I'm sure I butchered that name. I know him from Jackie Chan Adventures. You ever watch that? Oh, he was, I
1: did used to watch he that. He was uncle.
0: No way. Yeah. What? I think everyone remembers what uncle used to yell all the time when he was mad at Jackie Chan. And it was just...
1: Yes, I do. It was
0: so good. He also played the emperor in Samurai Jack, has been in Waterworld, and has done voices for World of Warcraft.
1: Holy crap.
0: So... I forgot to mention that in the episode. I'm sorry. I'm mentioning it now. Uncle from Jackie Chan Adventures is what I remember most from his work.
1: That's amazing. I didn't recognize his voice. But now that you say who he played, I Mm -hmm. was like, oh, of course. Let's talk about this dream sequence, though, because I thought this was so well done. It was nonsensical, but also deeply symbolic with the imagery.
0: Mm -hmm. With like, you mean like the lightning? And what yeah, the lightning the and then
1: also Gyatso and how he disintegrated into Ash. Yeah, That was heavy. Uh, like, oh my god, my heart.
0: Yeah. Also, yeah, so like when it starts off, we're like, oh, cool. Hang on Appa. And then Sokka's using the uh, the staff to fly around to the glider and you're like, wait <laughs> yeah. a minute. This isn't quite right. And It has that like, it's like a perfect like dream sequence where it makes sense. It starts to make sense because it's already making sense. He assumed that it's not a dream because everything around him is just like he's accepting it. And then everything hits the fan and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And just like jerks awake.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I like that they had that quick still of Ozai.
1: Oh, me too. Quick oh, it was still. so good.
0: Yeah. It, it was well timed too, because they played with my expectations a little bit, because we have that first lightning strike and there's no image there. It's just like white. And I'm like, oh, that would have been really cool if a boom Ozai. And I was like, oh,
1: geez. That's yeah.
0: <laughs> startling.
1: Yeah, the image of Ozai plus the TV static yeah. made it super eerie.
0: Yeah, and you can only imagine, too, like when this was airing, TV static was actually a thing.
1: Right, true. two thousand five.
0: Unlike now, where it's just like you get it or you don't.
1: Right. Oh, gosh. No, yeah. you're right with digital streaming.
0: Yep. So wow. or, you, or you get the loading, You get the loading circle. Imagine they had yes. that. They had the foresight. No, I'm just kidding. They wouldn't have thought they couldn't <laughs> have thought of that. But it went into that like ultra nightmare mode, like right before you woke up. And it kind of shows you what he perceives the Fire Lord to be, which isn't a person, but just like this giant shadow person entity thing.
1: Yeah, like a monster. Yeah. A nightmare monster. Oh, and he's
0: also a child, too, so it's understandable.
1: True. Upon waking, Aang finds himself safe at camp. His sudden waking disturbs Momo, who hops across Katara's and Sokka's sleeping bags, waking them as well. Katara asks Aang what's wrong, to which he replies he just had a bad dream. Katara notes that he's been having a lot of nightmares recently, but Aang shrugs it off. The next morning, as they are preparing to leave, Aang comments on how the clear skies should make for smooth flying. When Katara finds their food sack empty, she tells the others they should smoothly fly their way to a market to get more food. Sokka is horrified at this suggestion and warns them against going to a market because that's what he dreamed last night. What happened in your dream? Asks Katara. Food eats people, he says. He also notes that in his dream, Momo could talk and said some very unkind things. (laughs) I love that. Also, a very slight nod to a future episode.
0: Yeah. Something I do want to point out is that I think it's really funny that Aang is having this like horrifying nightmare and Sokka's horrifying nightmare is the old horror movie Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, essentially.
1: (laughs) Essentially. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Oh my gosh. People are afraid of different things. When one's world revolves around food, one thinks that food eats you in a nightmare.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's well put. I didn't think about it that way.
1: Somewhere on the open waters, Zuko looks through a spyglass as Iroh sniffs the air. There is a storm coming, he says. A big one. Zuko tells his uncle that he's out of his mind because the weather is perfect with not a cloud in sight. Iroh insists that a storm is approaching from the north and advises that they change their course to southwest. Knowing that the Avatar is traveling northward, Zuko tells Iro they will do the same. When his uncle implores him to consider the safety of the crew, Zuko exclaims the safety of the crew does not matter. Nearby, Lieutenant G overhears this and scowls at the prince. Zuko walks up to G and adds, Finding the Avatar is more important than any individual's safety. Before leaving, Iroh tells G that Zuko doesn't mean what he said and is just worked up.
0: Yeah... Not Zuko's finest moment, but like...
1: No, it's not.
0: mm -mm. It's nice that Uncle still has his back.
1: It is. It's so sweet. Yeah. I thought it funny that he sniffs the air and says that there's a storm approaching. Because you know that that very particular smell in the air, the smell of a... I know petrichor is often the word used for the smell of rain, or it's really the smell of rain on ground, on the forest floor. Mm. But that smell of ozone, really...
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think I I think everyone knows exactly what that smell is. You walk out. The sky can be clear. It cannot be clear. But you have this like, I don't know. I always just call it. It's going to rain smell.
1: The It's going to rain smell. It's
0: going to rain any moment. And that's what (laughs) Iro. I don't even think it had that, though, because no one else seemed to smell it. And they're in the ocean.
1: You know, petrichor is the earthy smell produced when rain falls on dry soil. Mm -hmm. And so if you're out on the water, it's not going to smell like that. It's going to smell like ozone or something like sky that like almost a crid sky smell.
0: Yeah. I just think I wonder if like like the salt ocean water, that smell would overtake or be stronger than.
1: For the common man, perhaps, but not for Uncle not Iro. Not for Uncle Iroh.
0: <laughs> Keen sense of smell.
1: And a wit as sharp as a machete.
0: Expert pie show player with a hidden tactic.
1: Flavor purveyor extraordinaire
0: <laughs> of tea. Uh, <laughs> of tea.
1: Tea flavors. I feel
0: like we could do this all day. Let's, let's,
1: yes. <laughs> let's we cut to a seaside Earth Kingdom market where the gang has stopped for provisions. Katara inspects a melon at a melon stand and says she doesn't think she likes the sound of the swishing inside. The stall owner insists that the melon is perfect and that swishing means it's ripe. When it's revealed that they don't have any money to pay for their produce anyway, the stall owner angrily takes back her merchandise. hmm Quick note here. Um, did you notice when we when we cut to the scene that Appa was floating in the water by the docks like a boat?
0: I didn't notice that until like much later, I feel like.
1: Until Katara like hops on him? Yes.
0: Yeah. That's what I noticed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. No, it's so funny when it cuts to the scene because it's like boat, boat, Appa, <laughs> boat. <laughs>
0: Oh, Papa! He's so good. He's so buoyant. Yes. I love it. Fluffy boy. Uh, the point I was going to make is the watermelon merchant uses like a very similar or at least resembles merchants from China in the early 1900s um, who would try to make their melons sound heavier by injecting them with like like really bad water uh, from a nearby creek or river. So it's almost like a con at that point. It's like, no, no, that's what makes it great is that water noise. Like there's like
1: oh, gross. Like
0: I don't I don't shop for melons, but like yeah. I don't know, I feel like I wouldn't want one that's like super watery inside.
1: No, I don't think I've ever It could be the type of melon cuz you know, we have watermelons here and cantaloupe, fair, but fair. yeah, I don't I don't think that sounds very good either. Nope. And then to be told it's ripe, swish is ripe. And then you open it up and then it's like... Gross. It's like gross stinky water from swamp like... Swamp water. Some... Ugh. Yeah. Gross.
0: Maybe a frog in there. That was a tadpole that was put in there. Ew, Just surviving. that would
1: be disgusting. No. That's gross. That's horrible to think about. <laughs> no, but that's fascinating. I didn't know that that was a thing. You said early 1900s in China? hmm Wow. The more you know. The more you know. History, kids. <laughs> Just then, an old man and woman walk by, arguing about a storm that might be coming. The woman says that her aching joints tell her a terrible storm is on its way, and the man shouldn't go fishing, but the man points to the beautiful sky and tells her she's crazy. After his dream, Aang is nervous upon hearing this news about a storm, and suggests that they look for shelter. Sokka isn't convinced they should be worried, and takes the opportunity to volunteer as a fish hauler for the old man when the woman refuses to go with him. The fact that the man said he would pay someone double to replace her makes the job seem even better. But the old man is quick to go back on this when Sokka points it out.
0: (laughs) I'll pay whoever double.
1: Hey, he's paying double. Hey, I volunteer.
0: (laughs) Who said anything about double? Uh, (laughs) Quick, quick note. The Fisherman is voiced by Robert Pine, who hasn't really done too, too much. He sounds like like super familiar. That's what was the first thing I looked up. He's been in chips like the old olden day chips, not like the recent Dax Shepard movie. He was in the movie Red Eye with Rachel McAdams. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he was also, this is where you might know him from, he was in Independence Day, the movie. He oh played, man, he, it's been a was, minute
1: since I've seen that. Yeah,
0: he was like one of like the, he was a military dude. Okay. The fisherman's wife, however, is Susan Silo, who plays morell in the Final Fantasy VII remake.
1: No way.
0: Plays Yin in Legend of Korra.
1: Oh, oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. And Wuya from uh, Shaolin Showdown, which I never watched, but I remember it from as a kid.
1: I do remember that too, yeah. Back on Zuko's ship, we see a huge storm brewing on the horizon in front of them. Lieutenant G taunts Zuko about Ira being right about the storm, and Zuko tells G he better learn some respect, or Zuko will teach it to him. G lays into Zuko about the way he treats his uncle and the crew, calling him a spoiled prince who knows nothing about respect. Zuko and G lock arms, smoke emitting from Zuko's hands, but Iroh quickly breaks them apart. He smooths things over by saying everyone is just tired for being at sea for so long, and they will feel better after a bowl of noodles. G and the rest of the crew walk away, but Zuko tells his uncle that he doesn't need his help keeping order on his ship.
0: I think it's um very interesting. There are two different trains of thought on respect going through G and Zuko. Zuko's reference is what we'll learn is very much as his father taught him respect and not how Iroh or G views respect Mm -hmm. where respect is. I am higher up than you. You have to do what I say without talking back, without questioning. I am your leader. This is the way of the world where uh, G comes from a like respect is earned. Yes. Kind of mentality where like, no one is better than the other person Especially when you're on a ship, especially when you're in war, everyone, sure, there's a chain of command, but the higher ups have to respect those that are below.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Subordinate. Yeah. No, that's really interesting because you're right. I think for the fire nation, for the fire Lord, respect is almost like a blind obedience. Yeah. And an adherence to the status quo mm-hmm. versus G who's like, just be nice, dude. Yeah. Yeah. We're We're your crewmates, like we're on this ship together, like just be nice to us,
0: yeah, yeah, that's all that's all he wants and or at least value their lives,
1: right, yeah, see them as individuals with lives who you know deserve at least your minimal respect, even if you're a leader, you should still respect the fact that they are individuals who are doing hard work for your mission,
0: yeah, and it actually kind of like puts a different perspective on Zuko's train of thought as well now that like we're kind of saying this out loud. Where I don't even think Zuko cares about his own life, like for him, even catching the avatar, like his honor is more important to him than his own life. Wow. I, no, I yeah. think I
1: think it's bordering on that level.
0: I think that Zuko, if, if he was given the choice of continuing to live with Iroh and never catching the avatar or catching the avatar and dying, I think he would want to catch the avatar and die versus continue to live. The way he's been living.
1: I think so, too, for reasons that we will soon see. Yep. Because we finally see his backstory in this episode. hmm. Yeah. Yep. Oh, another thing I I noticed. Did you see Iroh in the background? No. Oh, my God. It's so good. You should go back and see it. Yeah. Iroh in the background behind G as G's like laying into Zuko. He's making like a kill it gesture. Oh. Like a no, stop. <laughs> like, like hand going across the throat. Like, stop.
0: Oh, you know, I think I do remember that now that you mentioned it. Yeah he's like knocking off he's gonna hurt you please
1: i like you yeah all right jumping back over to team avatar back on the docks storm clouds are also beginning to gather on the horizon and Aang worries that Sokka shouldn't go out to sea Sokka dismisses the bad weather but the old woman agrees with the boy with tattoos this description grabs the old man's attention and he quickly puts it together that Aang is the avatar Katara and Aang expect him to show the usual awe or gratitude for the Avatar returning, but the old man surprises them by dishing out some harsh judgment, saying that Aang turned his back on the world and allowed for a hundred years of war and suffering. Katara comes to Aang's defense, saying it's not his fault for disappearing, but Aang takes the old man's words to heart and flies away on his glider. Katara chases after him on Appa, leaving Sokka and the old man to finish preparing for their voyage. Mm. A highlight from this scene is well, I'll be, we'll be a hog monkey's uncle. I'll be a
0: hog monkey's uncle. I love that guy's voice so much. I was like when I was hearing it, I, I was like, that is someone. And like the first time I watch an episode, I don't immediately IMTV voices. I wait until the yeah. second or third time. Um, I was thinking like he had more of a I don't even like a rip torn kind of vibe.
1: Yeah, it's so expressive. And yeah. it had that like gnarled, like gravelly old man voice.
0: Yep. It was so good. So perfect for it.
1: Katara flies through the rain looking for Aang and finally spots him in a cave in the hillside. When she enters the cave, it's clear that Aang is struggling with some deep emotions. Katara asks him if this has something to do with his dream, and Aang finally begins to open up about what's bothering him. They build a small campfire, and Aang begins to tell her the story of how he found out he was the Avatar.
0: Oh, so heartbreaking. I
1: know, so heartbreaking. In Aang's story, he was trying to teach the other Air Nomad kids in the Southern Air Temple how to do his signature air scooter move when the Council of Elders appeared and asked him to come with them. In their council room, they tell Aang that he is the Avatar and that they've known this for quite some time. Monk Tashi produces a bundle of Aang's childhood toys and tells him that by choosing these four relics as a young boy, Aang showed that he was the reincarnation of the Avatar. I chose them because I thought they were fun, Aang explains. But Tashi says that Aang chose them because they were familiar, having at one point belonged to his past lives.
0: That is actually has some basis in real world stuff.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that.
0: Yeah. So, what I found is that this method is very similar uh, to the one used by Tibetan Buddhists to figure out who the next incarnation of the Dalai Lama is. So, I like, I really like that. The other thing i really enjoy about this is what must be going through ang's head at that moment where he's like man i just chose these toys because i liked them and they seem like fun like if i were him i might be thinking man what if i chose different toys that i wouldn't be having to go through this or maybe oh man same yeah it's crazy
1: that's some heavy news when you're 12 years old
0: yeah heavy news for anyone never mind 12 years old
1: true fair yeah Yeah. Yeah. Kind of about that. I was reading uh, additionally for the Air Nomads, specifically whenever a Fire Nation avatar dies with air coming next in the cycle, they would lay out thousands of toys for the kids. And specifically, if a child chose to play with uh, any one of those four relic toys, to them, it was a strong indication that they may be the reincarnated avatar. So it's amazing that they were able to come up with this this method of figuring that out. And we'll read more about that in the book, The Rise of Kyoshi, which I'm super excited about. But yeah, yeah. can you imagine what's going through Aang's Aang's head when he's like, oh, so the things that I thought I chose out of my own free will meant that I am this avatar. That's that's heavy.
0: Determinism versus free will.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: So Tashi uh, is voiced by James Hong, who is a very well established not just voice actor but actor in general. I think he's like 91 now, something like that. Oh wow. Yeah, he's been in Big Trouble in Little China. He was Mr. Ping in Kung Fu Panda. I know oh my him. Gosh. Yeah, I know him as uh Covetous Shen from Diablo 3. He was also Hannibal Chu in Blade Runner. So he's been around Whoa, for quite, those are some great roles. That's just like the more recent of it. Like he's been around forever. And I'm a super big fan. So as soon as I heard him talking, I was like, oh my God, he's like, his voice is like, you can't mistake it. It's so perfect.
1: Right. Yeah. That is really interesting. Um, Going even further with the monks in general, I was reading that the group of elders is a group consisting of the different leaders of the air nomads. And each of the air temples had its own council of head monks. But what's really interesting is the northern and southern councils were composed of head monks. And the Eastern and Western councils were composed of head sisters. Mm. So the nuns were in the Eastern and Western air temples. Interesting. Yeah, super interesting. Um, But yeah, otherwise, the Council of Elders are the people responsible for identifying the avatar when he or she is born into the air nomads. Um, and a couple of the big names that we'll we'll see going forward in the show is Gyatso, of course, yeah. uh, Monk Pasang, who we'll see in this episode, Monk Tashi, who we just talked about, and also Sister Io from the Eastern Council, which we'll see in another flashback uh, in the future. Yeah. So I mean, with all of that being said, I just have such great appreciation for the depth of the backstory in this world because oh, obviously yeah. we're following Eng and everyone, Eng and Company. And yet when we have these flashbacks, it's as detailed as our present day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about this whole universe and the stories is like the fleshed out backgrounds. And it's not just like, like the main characters never are just like, oh, I'm Sokka and I'm goofy to be goofy. Like, no, there's a reason behind it. Or it's like, I'm Zuko. I'm angry to be angry. And that's just who I am. (laughs) No, there's a reason for it, which I really love.
1: Yes. That's great storytelling when you have reasons for everything. Yeah. Yasuo then tells Aang that normally they would have told him about being the Avatar when he turned 16, but there are troubling signs in the world that led them to tell him early. They believe war is upon them, and so they must prepare Aang as the Avatar. Around a similar campfire on the Fire Nation ship, Lieutenant G complains to the other crew members about Zuko's behavior. G is sick of taking Zuko's orders and chasing his Avatar. Iroh appears and asks if he may join them. Initially embarrassed about Iroh overhearing their conversation, the crew allow Iroh to join. Then Iro begins to explain why Zuko is the way he is. Once, when Zuko was younger and eager to learn as much as he could in order to prepare to rule the Fire Nation, he was turned away at the doors of a war chamber meeting. After imploring his uncle, Iro agrees to let Zuko attend, but warns him to not speak during the meeting, saying these old folk are a bit sensitive. <coughs> it's amazing to see Zuko without a scar. I just have to say that.
0: Yes. I mean, yeah. First, didn't recognize him. Um, second, super didn't recognize him because he's smiling and he's happy.
1: Right? Like, who is this kid? He's yeah. young. He's happy. He's like eager to be a good leader. Like, how he,
0: freaking he precious. doesn't have a dumb top knot. Like,
1: <laughs> True. It's a ponytail instead. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, amazing. And then, yeah, it's just like he goes in that room and he's just like, no, pal, don't do it. Don't do it. It didn't look like Iroh went in there with him.
1: Yeah, I wondered about that because yeah. it he like escorted Zuko in. But then later at the table, I didn't see Iroh sitting there.
0: Yeah, I went back and paused it. I was like, he has to be in here because I was very curious about what his facial reaction would be.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I was waiting for that, too, and they didn't show it. So, man, that's kind of scary, too. Zuko mm-hmm. just went in there and like bombed. Mm hmm yeah so in the next scene we see Ozai in his throne room for the first time because that's where all the generals are meeting around a a map of the nation what I thought was really cool about the Fire Lord's throne room is it was designed by Elsa Garagarza as her first assignment when she joined the crew right out of architecture school Um, she was given only three words to go off of to design this place Egyptian Chinese and scary I think it's safe to say that she killed it. She did yes. a great job Yeah, <laughs> because it is so incredibly intimidating with its black pillars, black tiled floor, um, the ornate covered throne that Ozai sits on. Yeah, it's so imposing.
0: Yeah. I was trying to put my finger. I couldn't figure it. But Egyptian, I was like Th- that you said that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like definitely like a pharaoh's room, war room kind of scenario.
1: Yeah, it's. This incredibly exquisite blend of Chinese and Egyptian. Mm. During the meeting, one of the generals suggests that they use an entire division of inexperienced new recruits as a distraction, allowing the rest of the army to attack from the rear. Zuko speaks out against this plan, outraged that they would sacrifice soldiers who love and defend their nation like that. Iroh recounts to the crew that while Zuko was correct in this opinion, it was not his place to speak out in this way. And there were dire consequences as a result.
0: Also, really quickly, that point exactly, well, the consequences of that point exactly, is how he learns the new definition of respect. Because right now he's on um, G's respect. Yes. Right there. Is he goes like, how could you? These are people who respect us. They love us. They trust us. How could you just do this to them?
1: Yeah. That's a betrayal to do that.
0: Yeah. yeah, And yeah, it's just crazy. It's like in hindsight, oh, I can't even verbalize it. I'm just like, oh no, buddy. I
1: know. That's a really noteworthy observation to make because that completely changes Zuko's character going forward is what happened from that.
0: That was a defining moment in his life right there. And instead of doing what his uncle asked him to do, he couldn't like he couldn't just sit he was more like Katara right there than anyone else
1: yeah back in the cave Katara asks Aang why he wasn't more excited to find out he was the avatar Aang explains that at the time he didn't know how to feel about it all he knew is that everything began to change his friends in the temple wouldn't let him play with them anymore saying it was an unfair advantage having him on any team even though they invented a game using his air scooter he wasn't allowed to play with them which is just heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, that was like, like, yeah, we don't want to play with you. And then they get like the weird guy in the corner to play instead.
1: (laughs) Jinji or whatever. (laughs) like, Yeah.
0: yeah, So like, I think it was Jinji or whatever. Yeah. They could still could have had him play whoever. It's just you put Jinji on the same team as Aang and they kind of should even each other up.
1: Right. Yeah. Just a quick reminder here, too, that Aang earned his airbender tattoos at 12 years old.
0: Yeah. No one else had it. Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. So in that scene, no one else had their their tattoos but him because he earned them at 12 when he invented the air scooter. So if that didn't already set him apart from the kids, getting the news that he's the avatar is just like devastating to his social group.
0: Well, before they I think they were accepting that he was so good at that. Like they're like, oh, you're just naturally great. That's awesome. And then they're like, oh, you're I think they view it as like cheating. Like you're oh, you're cheating. You're the avatar. So obviously.
1: Yeah, before he was naturally gifted and was just ahead of everybody, but he was still a mentor and he could teach people things, but now he's the avatar and it's like, oh man, no, you're too powerful. Like, we can't have you on any one team because then that team's going to have the unfair advantage. Yeah.
0: They did seem genuinely sorry. They weren't just like, haha, nerd, you can't play with us because you're too good at this thing now. They're just like, sorry, man, like, we just don't think it's fair. And you have to think that's probably a big philosophy on like, like balance is a big philosophy on what they're brought up on so they they view ang as being an imbalance even though his oh man they view ang as being an imbalance even though his whole purpose of the avatar is to bring balance to everything oh geez ow that's rough
1: that is so rough Mm. oh my god what you just said that's that's even sadder because It's not even your stereotypical, like, ha-ha, nerd, you're not accepted in our group kind of thing. Like, go away. It's literally, we don't think it's fair. So even though we hate it, like, we can't have you play with us. Yeah. Which still has the same impact, you know? Like, Aang is still devastated from this. He's still hurting from this. Sure, yeah. Monk Yatsu helps Aang feel better with a game of Paisho. But their fun is interrupted when Monk Tashi finds them and insists that Aang should be training instead. He tells Aang to come with him so that he may be tested on some high-level techniques. But Gyatso stops Aang. He puts his foot down and says that as long as he is Aang's guardian, he will decide on when Aang trains and when he gets to have fun, specifically by getting his butt kicked by himself in Pai show. Monk Tashi storms off and Aang smiles at Monk Gyatso with gratitude.
0: Real quick. Yes. Did you, and also did you, our favorite listener, Ever. Yes, you. I'm talking to you. Notice the one Paisho piece that Monk Yatso is using.
1: Let me guess. Was Mm -hmm. it a White Lotus?
0: It was.
1: Oh my gosh. Love it. Yeah, I also love how Monk Yatso's character is just so protective and nurturing of Aang. You know, he's kind, but he's also wise.
0: Do we know who Aang's parents are?
1: No, we don't. We'd never find out either. They're just some air nomads.
0: But like, is it possible that Monk Yatso maybe... Or he's an uncle or a relative because he's very like protective of Ang.
1: No, I don't think he's he's. I think
0: it's just mentor. I don't think he's related
1: by blood. I think it's mentor mentee. Okay. I think to some extent, Gatsuo sees himself in Ang, and so he Fair. becomes especially protective of him. Yeah, there's only one scene ever of his parents, and they're just some air nomads that we see from behind. So ah. I'm not sure. Um, but a note about Sho before we move on with the story is I did find out that Sho bears a resemblance to the board games Go, Chinese checkers, uh, street checkers, and I do not speak Chinese, but I'm going to try, uh, zheng, zheng Pi, Zheng Pi.
0: Zheng, ki? zheng ki. that's what I would say. Zheng, zheng And we all know that um, my pronunciations are the best, so.
1: Oh, yeah, you're fluent in Chinese, I'm right?
0: fluent in all languages <laughs> and can pronounce everything without multiple takes.
1: Perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah, uh, Michael and Brian made up Pi Show without thinking about all of the rules. And so the actual rules were created uh, by the people of Nickelodeon when they designed the online game of Pi Show for fans to play.
0: Is that still up? Probably not.
1: I, I Probably not. I think that might be on the old Nickelodeon website. No,
0: I want to play some Pi Show. That was taken
1: down. I know, that'd be so fun. Well, maybe someone created it somewhere.
0: I'll have to go look.
1: Getting back to Aang's story, he says things only got worse from there. Monk Tashi and Monk Gyatso go before High Monk Pasang with their disagreement, Monk Gyatso stating that Aang needs to have freedom and fun, and Monk Tashi insisting that Aang must be trained so that he may be ready for what lies ahead. Monk Pasang sides with Monk Tashi, telling Gyatso that he is letting his affection for the boy cloud his judgment. Aang and Gyatso must be separated, and Aang will be sent away to continue his training at another air temple. Aang overhears all of this from his eavesdropping position on the roof and is horrified. So sad.
0: There's no right or wrong answer to this. It's just different perspectives again. Which we, mm-hmm. you know, we saw kind of like the different perspectives of respect between G and Zuko, which for me there's a clear right or wrong. This is definitely I think when I first watched this, I was like, Oh, obviously Mongiatso is in the right because he has his well-being. But like Not really. Tashi's thinking about like the larger picture and not the world. Yeah. So, like, you, there's in this dilemma, you can only think of the larger picture or the more personal route. You can't really think of both and come to like a good resolution.
1: Yeah, exactly. There is no right answer here. It's just different perspectives. Yeah. I do think that it was cool that. He said specifically they were going to send Aang to the Eastern Air Temple, which means from what we learned before, Aang would continue his training with the nuns. He would have so much fun there. He would. Yeah. Back in the cave, Aang becomes too angry to continue. Oh, yeah. Angry. Oh, my God. You thought you were going to go a
0: whole episode without a pun?
1: (laughs) That's terrible. I thought <laughs> I thought we were like, you forgot to make a point or something, no. but no, it's just a pun. It's just
0: a pun. You're welcome.
1: Oh, my God. Anyway, anyway. he gets really upset <laughs> and he begins to go into the Avatar state because of his strong emotions. He stops, however, and apologizes to Katara for losing his temper. You deserve to be angry for being sent away, she tells him. Well, that's not exactly what happened, he replies. He says at the time he was angry and confused and didn't know what to do, so he ran away, leaving a note behind for Gyatso. He and Appa flew out into a terrible storm, and that was the night they were lost at sea. The next thing he knew, he was waking up in Katara's arms a hundred years later. Eng now blames himself for abandoning his people because he believes that his leaving doomed them when the Fire Nation attacked. Katara comforts him, saying that things worked out the way they were meant to. The world needs him now, because he gives people hope
0: so heartbreaking that if he had just waited like I want to say maybe even five minutes Monkey like Asso, that evening yeah he Monkiasso yeah. would have been like no like I'm not going to let this happen you're I like know. I'm watching over you I'm like you're my responsibility we're going to do this the right way but no he just like any child would when they get like devastating news that they don't agree they can the only thing that's going through his mind is this isn't right I don't want to do this I can't do this so he yeah, just takes I have to it run off. away aimlessly just takes off
1: I know my heart broke for both of them there because you know Aang's losing everything he loves and so he leaves but then his leaving means Gyatso loses the thing that he loves which is Aang Mm. oh and then they never see each other again and then Gyatso dies this horrible death and then Aang is now living with the consequences and it's just so sad also What do you think would have happened had he stayed? Do you think Aang would have been able to protect the temple or do you think he would have died? Mm,
0: It depends because we don't have any real idea of the force that the Fire Nation sent to the temple. We know that they were there. We don't really know. We know they had a presence. I don't know how large that presence is because if it was like, I don't know, like maybe a little more than what Zuko has on his ship. Sure. Sure. But if it's like an actual fleet, not like the little joke fleet that Zuko gets stuck with, yeah. but like an actual one. I don't know. It's tough to say.
1: Yeah. I you thought about fi- that when I was watching this episode.
0: You have to figure he pr- actually he might have been able to protect them because I, I don't know how many years it was after Ang disappeared that they got attacked. But he would have presumably been training more and more under different Um, maybe airbender techniques or anything like that. Or maybe it wouldn't have made a difference at all since I'm just rambling at this point. And maybe he would have been with the water tribe or he would have already been in the fire nation or he would have been elsewhere anyways. And it doesn't matter.
1: Oh, crap. No, you're right. Because I think I think the attack happened very soon after he left, but probably like a year or two.
0: Yeah. So he might have already because he was already a master of airbending at that point. So like, what more would he have to learn for for a whole year? He probably would have already been learning under the next technique.
1: Yeah. And so he wouldn't even be at the temple to save them. No, that's a good point. Crap. So
0: yeah. Unless, of course, they bring the benders to him, earth benders, fire benders, water benders to him to learn.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Hmm. Yeah,
0: I think ultimately it wouldn't have mattered. I think things are going to play out how they play out. And I think him not being there is like destiny. Like he was never gonna be there, regardless whether he's like stuck in an ice bubble with water drive yeah. or if he's like globe trotting.
1: Yeah. Or did we make our way back around to determinism? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we did. We did.
1: We've both been watching Too Much Dark.
0: <laughs> yes. Absolutely.
1: Um, in the in the cave though, at this part, I, I love Katara for what she did here because he, of course, is plagued by all of this like almost self-loathing for abandoning his people and then them dying. And now he's here and he has all this stuff to worry about. And Katara's is just like, Hey, it's okay. I think it's meant to be this way. And I yeah. think the world needs you even more now because you give them hope. And so that's, that's a good thing. I feel like without Katara, Aang would not have gotten to where he was. And I think everything would have fallen apart, honestly, because of just her presence, how she, gives these pep talks and she cares and she nurtures kind of like Gyatso. And when I stop to think about it, I think Katara really is another great example of amazing storytelling, because if you took Katara out of the equation, everything would have fallen apart. Just like if you took Iroh out of the equation, everything would fall apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's just, like you said, it's, it's good. It's great writing. It's characters are there for a reason they're not just there except for the cabbage merchant but that's not <laughs> that doesn't count <laughs> that's but just we fanfare love the cabbage merchant we love them.
1: <laughs> yes back on the ship iroh continues his story after zuko's outburst at the meeting the fire lord became very angry with him he saw zuko's behavior as an act of disrespect for which there was only one resolution in agni kai Zuko declared that he was not afraid to face the general, the one that he thought he insulted. But on the day of the Agni Kai, when he turned to face his opponent, it was not the general, but his father instead. Mm. When Zuko saw that it was his father who had come to duel him, he begged for mercy. And this part also broke my heart because yeah. like we, we've we already established, this was the Zuko before who believed in good and right and wrong and... He apologized and he said, you know, I only had the Fire Nation's best interest in heart. I didn't mean any disrespect. I'm your loyal son and all of this stuff. And Ozai did not give a crap. He was like, no, you will fight for your honor. And then you will learn respect and suffering will be your teacher. And this whole scene is so freaking heartbreaking.
0: So bad. I I hate Ozai so much. Yeah. I'm a not nice human being. That's the nicest (laughs) thing I can say about him. (laughs)
1: what a not nice human being he is. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. Let's talk about this scene too, because I know that we, we share similar points.
0: Yes. So first of all, everyone paying attention at home, if this voice sounds familiar to you, it's because it's Mark Hamill. None none other than Luke Skywalker slash the Joker himself.
1: Oh my God. Like
0: if I had not known that, this is one of the things that I, I like knew kind of going into it. If I had not known that, I probably would have missed it because he does a good job at not sounding like himself, except for a he couple of words. He delivers like what? Two lines, three lines. And for most of those, he kind of has that like slight accent to him. The delivery is really good, but he goes down into what I call his Joker range for a little bit, but he never okay. gets into like the, the manicness. He just gets this like, I don't know, this like deep in here, like kind of like right before he's in the Joker, goes right back up. But with Ozai, he just like lives there. He lives in that like tone, which I thought was really cool.
1: It is cool. It's a scary voice too.
0: Yeah. Some might say his performance was fire.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. That was forced. That was forced. I'm sorry. That's not my
0: best work. That's not my best.
1: (laughs) What is an episode of Avatar the Podcast without (laughs) some puns?
0: Oh, I have one more lined up. Don't you worry.
1: Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Everyone
0: knows what it is already.
1: I can feel it. But,
0: anyways, yeah. Like, so he has this like menacing voice. You never really see his features. He's, again, just a silhouette.
1: I love that. I love that you don't see him because that plays into your fears, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone knows that something is scarier if you can't see it, which Mm is why the best horror movies build up the suspense through letting your imagination run away with you. So the fact that we can't even see him during this fight and yet we see his actions and the outcomes of his actions just, oh my God, build his character up so much.
0: Yeah. The other thing, it flashes to the crowd. Yes. And we see Zhao and Azula with these like happy faces on this like disfiguring of Zuko.
1: Yeah. That's. Oh, but,
0: yeah. And like Zhao's was kind of like it was definitely he was happy, but it was less subdued. Azula was just like. This Gleeful. The, yeah. Like she was like if she was watching a good movie and she had a bucket of popcorn, she would have been like <laughs> right at home with that facial yeah. expression.
1: Oh God, I love hate her so much. Like every atom of my being. She's just, such a great character, but I, I just hate her.
0: Hating her so much. Yes. And her not having any redeem I remember her not having any redeeming qualities. Whether she does or not, I'll find out as we go through. Yeah.
1: Depends on your interpretation. I would argue that she does, and I'm very excited to get into her character because the show gives you just enough. Yeah. To make you go, oh, man, okay, I see why she is the way that she is. Yeah. Whether or fair. not you feel for her after that is, I think, individual.
0: Okay, fair. That's fair. And then also Iro's face is just like an absolute horror.
1: Oh, God, I know. He said, I looked away. Ugh. Yeah. Um, a note about the Agni Kai itself obviously means fire duel, but it's been long used in the Fire Nation to solve conflicts. Anyone who's challenged to an Agni Kai must accept or be branded as a weakling, which as we've established is, you know, unacceptable in the fire nation. Anyone who steps into the Agni Kai chamber knows it could be his or her last fight. The outcome of the Agni Kai affects the honor of each opponent and is only over when one participant burns the other. So it's not necessarily a fight to the death. It ends when one person burns the other. However, There are many cases of people who have died in these. So the duels have claimed the lives of many firebenders uh, since there is very little room for mercy. So this is also why Ozai burned Zuko, even though Zuko begged for forgiveness, because it was a lesson to Zuko for showing that weakness in the first place.
0: This just dawned on me too. Like, not only is this like his nephew, his only nephew gets seriously injured from this, but it's also the, maybe not the point of no return for Ozai, but like another nail in the coffin for sure.
1: Ooh, yeah.
0: Like that's his kid brother.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. And like after this, if he wasn't already of the mind that Ozai is a lost cause, this probably made him decide and yeah. probably also uh, strengthened his conviction to be that positive role model for Zuko. This is probably when he really tied himself to Zuko and was like, OK, I'm going to be there for him. Yeah. God, can you imagine the recovery period? Because after this, like on top of all of that, Ozai banishes Zuko and gives him that impossible task of finding and capturing the Avatar, who, by the way, hasn't been seen for a hundred years. Yeah. But like this on top of his healing, because Zuko goes through this, gets his entire world shattered in that one fight and then is banished from the country that he loves, goes out and in the process of healing, internalizes that everything hinges on finding the avatar. Mm -hmm. Only that will restore his life. Holy crap. That's devastating.
0: Mm -hmm. No wonder he is the way he is.
1: No wonder. I know. I feel like I'm Lieutenant G right now. I'm like, oh.
0: (laughs) I I thought he just got injured in a bad training accident.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, he even says like, um, oh, I get it. So that's why he's so caught up in catching the Avatar, because only then will things return to normal. And then Iroh's like, things will never return to normal. However, Mm -hmm. the important thing is that the Avatar gives Zuko hope. Yeah. Yeah. And then that scene where Zuko sits before a desk with two burning candles and he's lost in thought thinking about these memories of these long lost days from a time when he was happy. The scene shifts from an image of him standing by his father's side, young and without a scar, to where he is today, bitter and scarred with his past, literally.
0: I just looked up a quote, because that, that seems super familiar with the way you worded what Iroh said about Zuko needing hope. Yeah. There's a quote, because I've, I've heard it before, and I just Googled it really quickly. It's Mahmood uh, body. I'm sure I butchered that, but he says a man without hope is nothing but an insect, a mindless creature with no future, and a man without a future can only go backwards.
1: Oh, wow.
0: So at that point, if he doesn't have the avatar to hold on to, he's just going to be mindlessly lashing out at whoever. Right. And then that just causes him to go back even further. So he will just end up losing his mind. Man. Yeah
1: those scenes too in particular those like sepia toned flashback mm-hmm. stills mm-hmm. Uh, i learned that those were actually painted by brian kanetsko oh no and way and brian evans yeah hey. uh back at the cave katara and ang are interrupted by the old woman from before who has come to ask them for help the storm is becoming a typhoon and she is worried about her husband Aang and katara leave on appa to look for him and sokka The same storm is also raging around Zuko's ship and lightning is proving to be a real danger. It strikes the navigation tower and leaves the helmsman hanging onto a railing for dear life. Zuko and Lt. G climb to his rescue as another bolt of lightning strikes the ship, but this time it's redirected by Iroh. Just then, Appa flies over the ship with Aang and Katara, startling the entire crew. G asks Zuko what he wants to do and Zuko tells them to let them go. They must get the ship to safety. Iroh suggests they head for the eye of the storm. That moment. Oh my Mm -hmm. God. Totally understated. But Iroh just, you know, casually redirects lightning. First time we see this.
0: And here's here's my wonderful pun. It it was quite quite shocking to me (laughs) that he was able to do that. Yeah, he does that. And you're just like, yeah, I knew you were a badass. That is actually a thing, though. The movements involving light generation are drawn from a form of Shaolin martial arts known as Dragon Shoots Its Whiskers.
1: Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That We're name sh- is on point. I know. Or the Dragon of the West, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So cool. I also thought it was kind of a redeeming moment, too, when when Zuko said, actually, yeah, let's just let them go. Because what Iroh said earlier about, no, he didn't mean that. He was just really wound yes. up. Yes. It ends up proving to be true because he was just so caught up in the moment. But now he's considering everyone's safety.
0: Well, that's it's not the first time that he's foregone capturing the Avatar. Yeah, true. The really cool thing is both times that we've seen so far where he's just been like, no, this other thing is more important. Team Avatar is none the wiser. They don't know how close they were to Zuko.
1: Yeah. But yeah, yeah like, very true. I, I think
0: him in such a public area saying, no, forget it. Is yeah. like a big stepping stone for him because the first time we saw that Winter Solstice part one where he was just alone on his lizard horse thing.
1: Yeah. And he chooses to go after his uncle who'd been right. captured instead of following Appa.
0: Ultimately, this choice in such a public area, I think will gain back some of the trust of the men on the ship,
1: especially after hearing his backstory and understanding yeah. Yeah. what
0: that means to him exactly, too. Yeah.
1: Oh, this episode! So heavy. God, this episode's so good.
0: I think this is our, our going to be our longest episode too.
1: I think so yeah. too. God, we're still going. Yeah. So Zuko tells his crew to let the Avatar go, and Aang and Katara finally reach the fishing boat and find Sokka and the old man struggling against the storm. Aang jumps to the deck and slices apart a falling mast with water bending before giving Sokka and the old man a rope that they use to pull them into Appa's saddle. But before they get away, a giant wave engulfs them all. They drift deeper into the ocean. Echoing the night he ran away from home, Aang goes into the Avatar state and bends a protective ball of air around them that allows them to get back to the surface safely. They burst out of the ocean within the eye of the storm, right next to Zuko's ship. He and Zuko lock eyes as they fly away. Once again, so close. But more importantly, both safe. Back in the cave where Aang and Katara took shelter earlier, the old man pays them with a fish and Aang tells Katara that he's done dwelling on the past. He can't make guesses about how things would have turned out if he hadn't run away, so he might as well focus on where he is now and how to make the most of it. Katara predicts that he's not going to have those nightmares anymore. Outside, the storm finally passes and the sky is split open with sunbeams. The small group goes out to enjoy the clean air, only to get soaked again when Appa shakes himself dry. There And there we go. That's, that's it. That's our, ep- that's our episode.
0: That's, that's it. I like how Sokka got paid in fish.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: even though he didn't want to get paid in fish.
1: Yeah. He's, where's this you paying me double thing? Or where's this you paying me with money?
0: I also like the fisherman. Goes, oh, you can have some fish. And goes, I don't eat meat. Fish ain't meat. Yeah, I love how simple that fisherman is. It's so good. Yeah, me too. So great. Um, yeah, that's that's it. That's I think my favorite episode so far.
1: Oh, it is up there. Yeah, specifically, I love the foil that they use in this episode and how it's about both Aang and Zuko's backstories being brought to light. But Mm -hmm. where in Aang's backstory, we discovered that he's actually pretty selfish for a hero. And then in Zuko's backstory, he's actually pretty sympathetic for an antagonist. Yeah. I love that comparison that they do to really kind of drive home those finer details about their personalities and their characterization.
0: Oh, yeah. Every time I rewatched this episode, I just like picked up something new or got a new perspective on something. And even just talking about it afterwards, it's like, so it's what are we? This is chapter 12, right? So it's very similar. This is very similar. And again, I'm going to talk Star Wars for just a moment. It's very similar to Rebels and um, Clone Wars. It hits this stride where all of a sudden it just gets dark. And sure, it'll be a little lighthearted from here on out, but it just like, there's that just tinge now to the world that you're kind of seeing it. And I think that that's going to continue on for us up through even Korra. Like there will be lighthearted moments. There will be that, but there's going to be this overarching feeling that we're going to have now where it's like, there's going to be heavy drama.
1: Yeah. They're yeah. taking that black thread and yep. weaving it through the narrative now.
0: Yep. Exactly. Well put. Yeah.
1: Do you have any fun facts?
0: Oh, I do have a couple. Um, this is the first episode where Zuko is actually seen crying.
1: Yeah. Wow. We're we're really seeing just the spectrum of his emotions, right? We saw him laughing yep. in the water bending scroll. Yep. And now we see him crying. Mm-hmm.
0: And... The last thing, voices. We talked about Jim uh, Meskimen on an early episode. He's the voice of Lieutenant G. So on IMDB, he's always like various uh, voices. He's actually playing Lieutenant G. So that's everything that I have. Very cool. I I see your notes. It's really cool. I can't wait to talk about this. Ah, cheater. Yes.
1: Um, Yeah, I wrote down that this is the favorite episode of Zuko's voice actor, Dante Bosco, Mm -hmm. because during the scene where Zuko faces his father in the Agni Kai, Bosco actually worked with Mark Hamill and relates the scene to those in Star Wars in which Luke Skywalker or Hamill faces off with Darth Vader.
0: It's a role reversal for Mark Hamill where he gets to play Vader.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's really cool. That's so cool. And then yeah. Dante can go to him and talk about. I'm sure they talked about from an acting element or from an acting standpoint how to navigate the emotions and the delivery in that scene since yeah. Hamill had played it yep. in almost Zuko's position early. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. Except in the, Star Wars. Except for his eye, it's his hand.
1: Oh, crap. That's amazing. (laughs) I didn't put two and two together. Yeah. Oh, my God. So Hamill, who plays Luke, who loses his hand to Darth Vader, turns into Ozai, who takes his son's
0: eye and ear. Ah,
1: Yeah. Eye and ear. Specifically ear. I think you can still see, to be fair. Yeah. So that's that's a super cool fun fact. Yeah. And then this is Michael Dante DiMartino's third favorite episode because of how the story goes into both Aang's and Zuko's past very deeply. And I am on the same page with that assessment because this is one of my favorite episodes because of the same reason. Yeah. For the same reason. Yeah. And then lastly, the title of the episode, The Storm, has multiple meanings because not only is it referring to the literal storm that the characters get caught in, but also Aang's stormy feelings of guilt and shame, and Zuko's stormy history and how he was banished. So.
0: Mm. That one is is such a stretch for me, though.
1: How is it a stretch? I, no, I like it's perfect. I, I... I
0: I understand this is going to be me saying this, but it's just like not a great pun. Like it's
1: not supposed to be a pun, Greg. But it's it supposed is to be a symbolism. Pun, it's
0: like a yeah. I don't. I don't know. I just don't like stormy symbolism because for me it's always very heavy-handed. Um, <laughs> oh my
1: god! I, I no, understand this is me saying this, and it's perfect. I and know it's symbolism.
0: I know. <laughs> I know. But still, I was like, I I, re- I read that too, and I was like, yeah, I see it, but. I don't know Zuko. It's a little bit of a stretch for me. For Aang, I 100 percent agree. For Zuko, is like a stormy history of how he was banished.
1: Mm, I don't know. Okay, fine. Aang, I can so... see that
0: because because how Aang became an avatar like literally rocked his world in like which a storm would like completely devastate yeah. like a hurricane.
1: What did we just talk about, though, Azuko? How I his whole know. worldview is shattered and yeah, left on the right. grounds of the Agni Kai arena. You're right.
0: I'm wrong. Let's move on to the moral or whatever is <laughs> next. I was wrong. I understand it. Oh my that. gosh!
1: I'm just crazy about symbolism and crap like that. Yeah, so me too. I got to defend it. Yeah, fair. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about the moral of the episode. What was your moral of the episode?
0: My moral of the episode. Again, we have a not everything is as it appears to be yes. with Zuko. And this time, it's not just us realizing it. It's G kind of realizing it and, and the men on Zuko's ship. Uh, so we have that continuing to show up. I don't want this to be the morality episode, but it runs through both Zuko and Ang's backstories. If they literally just listened to their elders, they <laughs> would be in much different scenarios.
1: Oh, man. For different reasons, too. For
0: different reasons. Actually, it's very similar reasons. Because Monk Gyatso wasn't going to let anything happen to Aang.
1: But then if he had stayed, he would have probably died.
0: But again, we don't know if he was going to stay there or not. He could have been globetrotting with Gyatso. And then Gyatso would have been alive to show him more things.
1: I don't think Gyatso would have gone with him, though.
0: You don't think? I think he would have. I think he would be willing to, like, bend. Ah! Those rules. Oh, my
1: God. (laughs) Well, I guess he does have grounds to make that decision being his guardian. I mean, Aang is still young. So if he spent the next year or two uh, training, then, yeah, Gyatso would probably go with him. But, yeah, the whole moral of listen to your elders. If Zuko had listened to his elders, an innocent division of firebenders, of fire soldiers would be dead. But he also would not be scarred and banished. If Aang had listened to his elders, he would have stayed and gone on to train to be the Avatar and maybe live, maybe die.
0: I I don't want that to be my moral, but it's the only thing that I can see that kind of connects them both. Or although if you want to go with what Katara says as canon, in which that if Aang stayed, he would have died at the hands of the Firebenders or the Fire Nation, then maybe it can go both ways. So if Zuko had listened, he would have been in a better position. His worldview wouldn't have been devastated. He would still be
1: a kind hearted father's prince. good
0: graces, although maybe his father would banish him just for being that. Maybe this was just an excuse. Ooh, maybe maybe Ozai sees that as a weakness where Iroh yeah. sees that as a strength.
1: So he's like, perfect This is the perfect opportunity to boot my son out of the nation.
0: Well, here we go. Here. All right. Moving all those together and getting a one succinct moral of the episode it might be that just being who you are, while it may seem like an inconvenience at the time, will put you on the better track and the track that you're meant to be on. And we're back to determinism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we
1: go. Oh, man. Uh, my moral of the episode is everyone needs a little bit of therapy.
0: Good. Yeah. Fair. I like that one.
1: <laughs> How about your MVP.
0: My MVP is going to be a tie between Iroh and the fisherman's wife. (laughs) Okay. Because they both stuck to their guns and they both didn't give up when they were told that, yeah, it's a beautiful day. There's no possible way it could storm. And it did. They both knew it was going to storm. Which if you look at it from a metaphorical standpoint and less literal, like that's super i don't know about the fisherman's wife but that's super up iro's wheelhouse being able to look at current events and place it in a way that like you can kind of foresee what's going to happen and using the wisdom of the past to dictate not events but the path of the future yeah and the old lady just had bad joints (laughs)
1: but (laughs) still
0: she was able to like feel that
1: yeah though I actually so I small thing, but I like the difference between the two of them, how the old woman felt it in her joints mm-hmm. and then Iroh smelled it on the air. I feel like Iroh's ability to smell the coming storm and knowing which direction it was coming from is like next level. You know? Yes.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of like I don't want to get this nerdy, but I'm going to. It's kind of like when you're playing <laughs> D&D or Pathfinder and you use like detect magic and like the first time you you use it you can kind of know there's magic in the area and then you cast it again and you have like more of like a range or like a not cone but like you you can zero in on it like a little better yeah. it's like that it's like the old woman is just like i know something bad is going to happen like a storm is coming i don't know from where i don't know when probably tonight because of my joints but like it's just coming versus iroh who's just like yeah it's coming from here because i know i've been through this storm before
1: right yeah, yeah. man I got to say, Iroh is my MVP, too, Yeah. because oh, for all the reasons, he, as always, has Zuko's best interest in mind. So in this episode, he was just doing thing after thing after thing to support Zuko from defending him with G, saying he didn't mean that he's just, you know, wound up right now to specifically finding the crew, knowing that they were upset and explaining Zuko's backstory to them so that they would understand where Zuko's coming from. Yeah. To even in the flashback, taking that terrible act of cruelty of Ozai and bring Zuko under his wing and be that paternal figure for him and help him through that, that healing process. I also was thinking during the Agni Kai when... Zuko was just so open and honest and saying like I didn't mean it and I'm so sorry and I love our nation and I was just trying to do what's best for you know all of that stuff which is so heartfelt and so honest it's almost like the wrong thing to do and I was thinking what would Iroh do if he was in that position and I'm sure it would have been something very sneaky and very wise and very smooth because he's just gotten to the point where he's just on this next level, and he can, like you said, almost see things coming and understand the deeper elements of it and then act accordingly.
0: Mm. Yeah. Iroh is always the MVP for me and Sokka. That's always, that's always <laughs> not, maybe yeah. not this episode, Sokka so much, but yeah, yep. Iroh definitely was shining through for sure on this.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. And then, so if you had a tie, I'm going to say my tie is between Iroh and Katara because. Yeah. To my point from earlier, without her, Aang would be like lost in his emotions and his self-doubts and in all of that. So, you know, Iroh and Katara are the backbone of this show.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's very true. You know, who's not the backbone of the show? Who? Stupid Ozai! I hate him so much with his face. Stupid
1: Ozai! Stupid Ozai! (laughs) With his shadowed face, we haven't even seen yet. Shadowed
0: face we haven't seen yet, and getting (laughs) one of the best voice actors you could possibly get for the role. Come on now!
1: (laughs) And with that, we are officially out of time. I think we actually went over this episode. There's no way. There's no way. This is a great discussion. Yes, We hope you all enjoyed listening. Thank you so much for tuning in and going on this journey with us through the storm.
0: Yeah. And remember, I know we keep on saying this every episode, but it is still true. Uh, if you wanted to let us know who your MVP for this episode was or what your moral of the episode was, you can always email us at avatar, the gmail at gmail.com. Or you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening to us through there. Or you could tweet at us at Podcast Avatar. And uh, remember, if you're caught up on all the episodes and want to hang out a little bit more with me and talk about Avatar live, you can find me over at twitch.tv forward slash Booster I'm live every Monday and Friday night at around 8, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at acornbandit and online at joysons.com where I create enamel pins.
0: I got my oppa pin and I put it, I put it on my- Oh my gosh, that's right.
1: You got it in. But
0: it's so cute. I love it. It's
1: so cute.
0: It's so cute. We've already got a
1: couple orders in. So if any of you are listeners and you got yourself your own oppa pin, I hope you love it so much.
0: Oh, you should, you should take a picture of it. Maybe on like a selfie or something and then tweet it at us.
1: Ooh, yes, please. Yeah. All right. Next time on Avatar the Podcast. The sniffles
0: got your spirit feeling blue? Try a frozen wood frog.
1: And blue spirit, friend or foe? All this and more next time on Avatar Avatar, the the podcast. Podcast.
0: Avatar, the podcast, is a part of the Geek Generation Network. Check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.